So um, I'm happy we get to take refuge in the Buddha. It's sometimes it's translated in different ways. I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Um, sometimes it's uh, I find my home in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And then also sometimes in Zen, sometimes they say, I throw myself into the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Uh, it's a little more dramatic that way, but, but, it's, but it's the same uh, impulse is to find something greater than what we generally know about who and what we are and to realize that, right? Enlightenment is uh, one, even that's a translation of a, of a Pali word and uh, a more accurate translation might be realization, to become real, to realize what's already here. And uh, I'm appreciating the refuges tonight because I'm in the mood, it's helpful to just throw myself into the house of the Buddha today because I'm, I'm in a cranky mood and, um, and uh, I have not a good day. And, uh, and usually that's pretty, not even a big deal for me, but it was a big enough deal so I felt like I should say something to start, because people are, you know, I get here and people are saying, oh, how are you? And I feel like saying, oh, I feel like shit today. And, uh, but I'm not supposed to say that because I'm teaching Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. But then I realize I don't have to take it totally personally, my feeling like shit. It's just feeling like shit. And, uh, and I'll give you a little background. Part of it was, um, a part of it I'm not even sure about. I feel like, oh, did I get enough sleep or something's off? Maybe I'm sick, but I don't feel sick, but I feel like I have no energy. And, uh, and uh, like, you know, I would have appreciated staying in bed and watching a football game, except the 49ers are so bad, I don't want to watch them. So, um, uh, and, and also I'm having, part of the reason, that I'm not in a good mood is I've been having techno dukkha. And those of you who are not familiar with Buddhism so much, dukkha means suffering. So I've been having techno suffering, which is my least favorite kind of suffering these days, because I'm not a whiz at techno stuff anyways. I mean, I'm good enough. I can turn on the computer and do emails and and actually I like it a lot, but I have a new dukkha that happened because I'm going away on a trip to Asia, so I'm, I, don't, I didn't want to carry my computer. So everybody said, oh, get an iPad. They're really light. You can do everything with it. So I got an iPad and I had to sync them, right, because you have to do that with things. And there's all this shit missing from my calendar which has never been missing before. I've used electronic calendar for 10 years. It's always been fine. So like, um, like my Sunday night, every Sunday night it says seven o'clock, you know, SF Insight, right? That's gone from my calendar now. Okay, so I knew that was gone. What I didn't know, it, what else was gone? Because I don't, I don't try to remember what I'm supposed to do I go to my calendar and I do what my calendar tells me to do. So about 11.30 today, I turned on my computer and I get an email and they say, and it's, a, it's from a friend, Baruch Golden, and he said, are, are you okay? Are you, are you coming today? And, and then I realized, oh, I was supposed to, well, once a year, the uh, Gay Buddhist Fellowship asked me to teach there. And I, Always happy to teach for them. Well, I was scheduled to teach there this morning, mm -hmm. and it was it was gone from my calendar, so I was not happy about that. I, you know, I'm not totally, um, I'm not um, super uh, something. I'm, I can't think of the right word, but I try to be responsible for what I commit to, and it was like just a drag, not even to know. I don't mind giving up a commitment if I know I'm giving up the commitment, but 
I didn't know, so I wasn't happy, and I felt bad about that, and I sent a bunch of apologies to them. And, and then I'm like, okay, what the hell else am I missing? Because I see there's stuff missing from my calendar, but I don't know what's missing. And then I do see one thing, like the New Year's retreat, which I think there, there were some flyers out for the New Year's retreat, right? Yeah, they might still be out. That's not on my calendar now. Like, okay, I know this though, but it's like, what don't I know? And then, and then just as I was leaving, I got an email from someone who's in this small group that I've led for many years. And they, she said, uh, oh yeah, I just want to make sure you got that message that I'm not going to be there tomorrow night. Well, the calendar doesn't have it tomorrow night, you know, so I don't know. And I don't know the other months, which I'll, of course I'll find out. But this is the kind of dukkha I'm not happy about. I mean, other dukkhas seem so much easier with techno dukkhas. You know, I'm just, it's new to me, techno dukkha, meaning I'm old and I don't care about techno, except I like my calendar to work so I can do what I'm supposed to do, right? So um, that's just my lead into the talk, which is <clears throat> about how do we live a human life? given we have techno-dukkha and other kinds of dukkha. And uh, what obscures or what uh, veils our um, awakeness, right? Because one of the things Buddhism says about uh, human life, it's precious human life, right? And it is, it's precious, it's you know, it's temporary, it lasts for a while, anywhere between a few days or a hundred or so years. And, and it's quite amazing that we're here and we're alive and we talk and we communicate and we create uh, a lot of beautiful things in the world, human beings. Of course, human beings create some not beautiful things, but, um, but there is something that we know or, or we wouldn't be here if we didn't have some sense of the preciousness of human life. We wouldn't be, you wouldn't be coming to a Buddhist group, I believe, if you didn't know something about that, if you didn't have that understanding or that intuition about the goodness of being alive and being alive together. <clears throat> and so, so part of what we do here, and part of what happens when we sit, is we see what obscures our awakening, what obscures the preciousness of what's sitting here, of the consciousness, which I talked about last week, that is here and that is aware and awake. And there's a... a uh, a beautiful a quote, and I don't know where I got this quote, but it said, sentient beings are deluded about enlightenment. Sentient beings are deluded about enlightenment. Buddhas are enlightened about delusion. Sentient beings are deluded about enlightenment. We have a lot of ideas of what enlightenment will be, or how it is, or how great it is, or how we'll know everything, or be free of everything, and we'll never get upset about techno-dukkha or anything, because we're all fine, and, and we're enlightened, right? But what, what it says in the tradition, this is the traditional phrase, Buddhas are enlightened about delusion, which means we keep seeing our delusion. We keep seeing our obscurations. We keep seeing our limitations. And that's what frees us, right? And then as that relaxes, as that releases, as that lets go, then we discover what enlightenment is, what realization is. <clears throat> and so, I was watching my mind while I was sitting because I was in a bad mood and it was like, oh yeah, this is what I teach. You be aware of the bad mood, right? You don't just believe it. And so it's good to practice for all of us. And uh, 
And it's it just always so simple, right? Just to, to actually get present with being aware of what's happening and not just identified with what's happening. And uh, Charlotte Beck, Joko Beck, who was a great Zen teacher, she said, to enjoy the world without judgment is what a realized life is like. To enjoy the world without judgment is what a realized life is like. <clears throat> and so I'm talking about this partly because I've been watching my mind today, judging myself for the calendar, the missing calendar, the missing the, the teaching I was supposed to do this morning, and the whole uh, stream of papancha. Papancha is a great uh, Pali word. It means prolifer proliferation of mind. And it's just thoughts and ideas and beliefs, and they just come on their own. And they mostly, they're just not true, but also they can be very judgmental. Judgment can be part of our papancha. <coughs> And so, and, and the pampancha can come in the form of judging mind or comparing mind, right? And, and just watching how our minds work, uh, when, whether we're judging ourselves or we're judging others, or we're comparing ourselves or we're comparing others. And we have some idea about how people should be or how things should be, how experience should be. And so we end up with uh, a judgmental mind or a comparing mind and a certain kind of dukkha, meaning being irritated that the technology doesn't work right all the time, 150% of the time, right? Because I don't think that's possible these days or any days that the technology always works perfectly. <clears throat> and of course the judging mind goes says well you should write it all down on paper right <laughs> right but those are just the paper judgmental mind people who say that <laughs> right and <laughs> and I watch even in my mind I watch myself feeling defensive about relying on, a, on an electronic calendar but because it's just been great all these years and I've just never had a problem. So I keep, I keep defending my, uh, my uh, techno dukkha with how good it's been these many years. And so, um, um, we, wanna, we wanna be aware of our minds and how our minds work and what we believe, what we identify with, especially around judgment and comparing. And Ajahn Chah, who is, whose lineage we teach in, Ajahn Chah, he said sometimes, and he's talking about his community, he's talking to the, to the monastics who lived with him. He says, sometimes you may see other monastics behaving badly and you get annoyed. Right, because this happens, you, know, you, you all know this happens in monasteries. Like all the people know in robes, they're not perfect people. Is that, I don't mean to disillusion anybody, but is that clear? Is that understandable? Right, they're, they're people who are now wearing robes and they're of course doing their best. And, but they, so he says, sometimes you may see other monastics behaving badly. You may get annoyed. This is suffering unnecessarily. It's not yet our dharma. You may think this, oh, he is not as strict as I am. They are not serious meditators like we are. Those monks or those nuns are not good monks and nuns. It is a common mistake for meditators to make that watching other people won't develop wisdom. Watching other people won't develop wisdom. If you are annoyed, watch, be present with annoyance in your mind. 
right? And that's what's radical about the Dharma is, and even tonight I watched it, I mean, and I'm pretty good at watching my mind, and it was like, this is exactly what I needed to do to relax, was watch how much I was believing my mind, which was totally annoyed with the technology and the day and these, you know, now I have to figure out how can I even find anything that got lost off of my uh, calendar, which, you know, again, I'm not a, a, a techno uh, monastic, so I don't know how to figure that stuff out even. I've got to hire somebody now to help me figure that out. But, but what I can do is be free of my own mind. That I can be free of. And of course, we're all, a lot of us are very identified with our minds, right? It's like part of us, right? I mean, and I, I like my mind most of the time. I didn't like it today, but uh, I like my mind a lot. But it's also so interesting to see that just like we're not our bodies, we're not our minds. And that's a radical perspective that the Dharma offers us. That there's something here that's free of body, heart, and mind, even while we sit and awaken through body, heart, and mind. And so it's paradox here, which you, if you know me, you know I like that. <clears throat> and part of the judging mind is also um, part of our psychology. And I've said this many times, but uh, the way that it was first described, I believe by Freud, is right. there's the ego, and then within the ego is the id, the instinctual energies, right? The animal nature that's part of us. So there's a big circle is the ego, a small circle, but intense circle inside all of us of our, of our animal nature, our instinctual nature. And then above the, the big circle is a small circle. It's called the superego. And the superego's job is to keep the ego in place. And so the superego is the judgmental part of the mind in this map right? The, the superego is part of the judgmental part of the mind that helps keep the ego, the usual sense of self, in place. <clears throat> and it can have uh, many different um, uh, voices. Like if we see our own uh, superego, our own judging of ourselves, it's often harsh or mean or strict or attacking or demeaning or accusing us, but it's not being kind to us. That's one of the main things. It's there's something wrong with us and we should be some other way. And it's not just the discerning part of the mind, it's a judging part of the mind. And, uh, um, <clears throat> and it's archetypically found in Buddhism as Mara. And Mara is the evil one in Buddhism or the devil in Buddhism. They don't use those terms. But, but Mara uh, is the one who, Buddha, who keeps confronting Buddha at different times of his awakening and challenging the Buddha. And even um, uh, at some point, when the Buddha was trying to wake up, Mara comes and says, you poor thing, you're trying so hard. Why don't you go back and make merit and have a nice life and don't worry about getting awakened, right? But it's some kind of demeaning of where we're at to, to not to keep the ego in place, to keep the sense of self in place. That can happen. <clears throat> and really, the 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 attitude of Mara was, what right do you have to be enlightened? Which is often something people feel in meditation. They, people don't often think they could really wake up. Like, that's not really for me. That, oh, that was for the Buddha. That's for somebody else. That's for people out there. We don't know that freedom is possible right where you're sitting 
in ways that we might not have woken up to yet. <clears throat> Here's how one of my teachers says it, Hamid Ali, he said, the superego is the inner coercive agency. Superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against the expansion of awareness and inner development, regardless of how mild or reasonable it becomes. The superego is a substitute and a cruel one for direct perception and knowledge. Inner development, what he, what I would call awakening, requires that in time there be no internal coercive agencies. There will be instead of instead inner regulation based on objective perception, understanding, and love. Right? That's a different attitude towards ourselves, towards our hearts, our minds, our bodies. No matter what they're doing, whether they're right or wrong, whether they've done everything perfectly or imperfectly. <clears throat> and in a very beautiful uh, Buddhist text called the Shinshin Ming, which is the, uh, I forget the translation, Shinshin Ming, uh, I want to say the mind of great awakening, but I'm not clear if that's what it is. But the Shin Shin Ming, in the Shin Shin Ming, it says, <clears throat> it says, Reali realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Like that, just that, that's a liberating teaching for all of us. If we can let go of our anxiety or our wanting it, thinking it's supposed to be, we're supposed to be some way, then there is this possibility of awakening to what's here. <clears throat> and so uh, one of the things that we'll see is our judgment will come up, like I was watching my judgment about the, the, the electronic calendar and missing the, the teaching today and things like that. And then um, to see what happens if I let go of the judgment, if I don't stay attached to the judgment. And, and what is the judgment, what does it do to stay attached to it? Right? And one of the things it does, it protects us from certain feelings that are not so tolerable or we believe are intolerable. And here I'm, I'm generalizing more like um, pain or hurt. In other words, the judgment keeps us away from the vulnerable feelings that might be here. And for me, it was anger. I mean, I'm just pissed about what happened and, and uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm irritated. And, and then letting myself be aware of the irritation and feel that allows that to let go on its own. I don't have to get rid of the anger. I don't have to get rid of the energy. Uh, the awareness of it brings it into the space of awareness. And it just, it's there and, it's, and I'm not holding on to it anymore. It's just happening, and it's alive, and it's part of the life that's right here. And it's often one of the hardest places for us in Buddhism and in spiritual uh, groups in general is anger, because everybody thinks they shouldn't be anger and angry, and I'm like, good luck, you know? But there are other emotions we might have, pain, hurt, anger, confusion, fear, feeling lost, wanting something, not wanting other things. And what's key is what happens if we stay present with the pain or the emotion that is difficult. And it doesn't mean that, oh, it's great or I like it or it's fun, but it's liberating or freeing to see that we're not the emotions just like I said before, we're not our mind, we're not our body, we're not our heart. They're just the medium that we're given that in this life that's called being a human being.
And so all of this is pointing at compassion and the kindness that's needed to live a human life. <clears throat> Both our own and when we see our people who we have judgments for, or we're, uh, we, we compare or we're judging of. <clears throat> uh, Longfellow said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should, would find uh, uh, sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. <clears throat> and it's something about seeing objectively what's here rather than projecting our ideas on ourselves or on others. Just that, and this is underneath all of this is the Buddhist understanding is that dukkha is part of human life. And the attachment to dukkha is what leads to more dukkha. Right? Ajahn Chah said it this way, he said there's uh, there's a dukkha that leads to more suffering and there's a, a dukkha that leads to less suffering. And we're interested in the dukkha that leads to less suffering. Actually, in, in the translation is there's suffering that leads to more suffering and suffering that leads to less suffering. And what that means is how we relate to the suffering will determine whether it creates more suffering or it becomes the end of suffering or the doorway to the end of suffering. And so Sharon Salzberg, who teaches in our tradition, an old friend, she said, compassion is not at all weak. It is the strength that arises out of seeing the true nature of suffering in the world. Compassion allows us to bear witness to the suffering, whether it is in ourselves or others, without fear. It allows us to name injustice without hesitation and to act strongly with all the skill at our disposal to develop this mind state of compassion is to learn to live, as the Buddha put it, with sympathy for all beings without exception. And so there's a radical understanding being pointed at for all of us about our own suffering and the suffering of others, about seeing it and recognizing it. <clears throat> and of course, I'll say one last thing. There, you know, people always will say when we talk about suffering in this way that, well, they're, they give examples of suffering that we don't feel kind towards or the, the perpetrators of suffering that we don't see are also suffering, right? And uh, there's a story of Nelson Mandela in South Africa. He once uh, remarked, and, and uh, I mean, I believe everybody knows who Nelson Mandela is. Uh, uh, and I, when, when I was down, I was in South Africa many years ago to teach and uh, I went to the prison that he'd been held in for, I believe, 26 years and, you know, saw his cell that he'd lived in. And so it's amazing what a beautiful being he is, was, having lived through such difficult suffering that we wish for nobody, uh, but that he survived. And he, so. He once remarked that he befriended, befriended his jailers. He befriended the people who incarcerated him, who, who worked there. He befriended his jailers, those grim, khaki-clad overseers of his decades of hard labor in the limestone quarry by exploiting their good qualities. That's how he befriended them. Asked if he believed all people were kind at the core, he responded, there is no doubt whatever, provided you are able to arouse their inherent goodness. Like that's radical practice. That's bodhisattva practice. 
if he sounds like, if this sounds like wishful thinking, well, he actually did it, right? He actually did it, and then he came out and he helped, helped begin to heal a nation that had been the product of racism for hundreds of years and is still slowly healing itself, but he brought the bodhisattva heart of compassion to that situation. So those are a few thoughts about dukkha, techno dukkha, compassion, judging mind. Uh, I always like to make time to hear your thoughts, questions, comments, like, don't like what I said, or interested, agree with, don't agree with. Anything else you want to say? <laughs> Thank you, that's a nice thing. And turn the mic around towards you. Yeah, great. Thank you. My name is Elise. Um, and um, I'm working with myself to not be attached to resentment of someone in my family who has tried to humiliate me and others. To humiliate, humiliate you, yeah. Me and others. Right. Um, and it seems that uh, it affects my pride I want to... Um, the humiliation affects your pride? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like um, if it were somebody outside of my family, mm -hmm. that I would feel, and I feel now, I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And I would believe I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And I would walk away from it. Right. But I can't walk away from it. Okay. Uh, why can't you walk away from it even though you don't, but I don't mean literally walk away. I mean... Yes, I know why, but I'm still not doing it. I am attached to resentment uh -huh. of somebody who has at times done little zingers to me uh -huh. that are called passive-aggressive. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And I understand, I understand the suffering. Mm -hmm. I really do. But I don't know how to control the feeling of um, detaching from it, being who I am, mm -hmm. because I'm not a resentful person at all. Right. And I feel I have so, compassion yeah. and understanding. Okay, slow down here. Yeah. So, you are a resentful person. I am. Well, you're having resentment. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not detaching from the resentment. Well, well, don't detach from it even. Don't detach. No, no, wait, wait to detach, meaning, and, and so first of all, we want to watch out for any idea, like even, oh, I'm not a resentful person, because there's something about your ego identity, I'm not a resentful person. I mean, everybody here, I believe, gets resentful at times. That's a very normal human experience to resent shit that happens, right? Right. And, and, so, and so let's give you permission to resent. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And really what I'm saying is, it just as if, and, and I'm not saying do anything about the resentment. I'm saying open and be aware of the energy of resentment that's right here, because that's alive. And, and that as you can open to it and bring it more in the space of awareness and feel it, and it, it could have more, you could have hatred, you could get worse, but don't act on it. But see what happens as you let the energy live 
and stay aware of it and then let's see how it self-liberates rather than you have to detach from it. Mm -hmm. I think I understand. The other part of it is I don't trust this person. I'm always kind of uh, uh on guard and when are they going to zing me again? Yeah. And the part that is wonderful about this this person has come around, uh-huh. but I'm kind of right. walking on eggshells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, but good. I mean, this is a good outcome. Yeah, yeah. I get it, and I get it, and 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 I'm. I just want to encourage you to um, being cautious, because sometimes we have to be cautious around some people. It's just true, but but if we have our own permission to be cautious then we can stay, we can keep our eyes open and we don't have to act from our projections of what happened in the past. And that's where the freedom is. Because you don't have to be bound to what happened in the past, but we don't want to be not naive also. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people are people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so, and then see what happens, because you're already saying this person's come around. And I think if you give yourself more permission to feel the resentment and let it live, that the, the resentment will let go of you rather than you letting go of the resentment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. I mean, I, I understand that. One of the things I'm struggling with within what I'm saying is I want to be me around anybody. Right. And uh, I, I want to be myself. Sure. And I have been myself around her, but in the past I have been very guarded right. and protective. And I really don't want to do that, but I need a certain amount, like you're saying, of awareness and to be, uh, I don't want to put myself in a vulnerable position again. Right, right. But I want to be, uh, yeah, open. My husband just said open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, husband. He helps me. <laughs> sure. Um, so, you know, the other piece that you can play with is see what happens if you are open and, and relax. And if you get zinged, you can always just say, wow, I just got zinged. You know, and you don't have to say anything directly like you zinged me or you're an asshole, you zinger you, you know. But, but you could just say, wow, I just feel like I got zinged. Because that may be true. To myself? No, you could even say it out loud and see what happens. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the things you're also talking about that is, is relational practice. How do we relate when somebody's difficult in our family? And um, I, I, it's probably only you who has a difficult person <laughs> in your family. But, but, you know, and then how do you relate to them? Like, okay, I did a little bodhisattva thing. I went to visit one of my brothers who was in town. I saw him, he was in town for a number of days. I saw him one night and then I wanted to see him again. Uh, but he's not always the easiest person for me to see. And so it's bodhisattva practice sometimes. And so, and it was actually really good to see him again. But also, it's pra- I know it's practice sometimes because we're very different, just to say it simply. And, and uh, so you're going to practice with this person who sometimes is a zinger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know, let us know what happens over the next six months or years. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Okay. Okay. I guess I have one last little question, and then sure. I have other people too. Yeah. Is um, when the person, when you have sensitivity or understanding that the person is fragile. Mm-hmm. 
And I real, I've realized that for a, many, many years. So I have avoided expressing myself. I've gotten up and walked out of the room. Right. You've expressed yourself by walking out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, we do. We're expressing ourselves all the time. So the other thing you can do if somebody's fragile is to say, can, can we talk about something? I'm having a hard time with something. Put it on yourself, but say I'm having a hard time because I'm with you and I would like to be more relaxed. I'm not so relaxed because sometimes uh, something you say, I'm sensitive and so I don't mean to be too sensitive. In other words, you cannot attack them and you can still try to communicate and see what how it works. Because mm -hmm. we all project a lot of ideas. I can't talk to that person, right? I can't be real with that person. And you know, maybe you can't, you know, smack them, you know, across the head, even though you, they'd like to be real in that way. But maybe you can talk to them. And who knows what will happen? And I, I don't know, but it's, it really, it's, it makes life practice. Yes, uh-huh. And it's important, I can't just be around people treat me the way I right. right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's just such an important part of our practice. Here, I'll give a personal example today. It has a little bit of humor, but it, so my wife has this dog, right, that I've talked about that she loves and, and uh, I like, but I don't take care of it. But the dog has gotten into the habit, not too often, but every once in a while I go into my office and there's some shit in my office <laughs> from the dog. And it's like, I'm, I'm not happy about that, I don't like that. And so, and today, I walked in and for the first time, I stepped in some oh. shit. Yeah, barefoot, too. I mean, it's like, no wonder you were grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? No wonder you were grumpy. Yeah, that's right. He <laughs> said, no wonder I was grumpy. That's right, I was grumpy. Yeah. And, I, and I called my wife and I said, keep your goddamn dog out of my <laughs> You know, I was mad. Actually, I was mad because I couldn't get a hold of her, so I left a message. I didn't, I didn't quite say it that harsh, but that's what I felt. And it's like, and I could tell it, and I was just reactive. I was already reactive, and then the dog, so like, give me a break. And we have different philosophical views about how you train dogs. Like, I'm like, I had a dog for 12 years. My dog never shit in the house, right? Never, because I know how to train the dog. But that's not how people train dogs these days. They're always, they're so nice to the dogs about everything. They give them <laughs> treats. You train them by giving them treats all the time. And, and I mean, I love the dog, but I know that if you hit a dog once, they, they react to that. They listen to that, <laughs> but you don't, you don't do that. So anyhow, so, but, and so same, it's like I could see my reactivity even in the phone call I was making and right. And then when I talked to her, you know, I was much nicer, you know, cause not cause I felt better, but cause it's not, I don't need to yell at her about it. I just need to make sure the dog quits shitting in my office. That's what I want. And you truly had a shitty day. <laughs> I did. I had a shitty day. Uh, please. Just pull the mic down to your mouth. Pull the, yeah, great. Hi, my name is Marissa. And Marissa. I actually uh, am from New York and I'm visiting and I've heard your talks uh -huh. on Dharma Seed, uh -huh. and I listened to them multiple times. So I came out to be able to hear you talk in person. Great, thank you for coming. Yeah, so. I'm glad I came. Great. But I'm sorry about the shit and <laughs> <laughs> <about> technology. <laughs> thank you. Um, you said something in your talk about anger and how people don't think they're supposed to be angry and then you said well good luck uh -huh. and then you talked about 
feeling reactive earlier. And I guess I've been trying to understand anger for myself because for me, when I get angry, I don't actually realize I'm about to get angry until I am. And um, that can't always be tamed or... um, I can't talk myself down in time to not hurt somebody or something like that. So... So then, um, in your response to the person who was asking a question before, you said something about how the resentment could eventually let go of you. Yes. And is that how working with anger can work? Yes. Yeah, it can. But but there's a few things in what you're saying that are really important. One is... Um, all of this, what we're talking about right now, is watching our mind. And when I say mind, the, it's the same word in, in the chitta, in the Pali, is both heart and mind. Heart and mind. And so, and, and so that's how it's originally thought in Buddhism. The heart and mind are one thing. And so you're, the anger that we may have is part of the heart-mind experience. And so watching our mind especially is what leads to anger. And so if you keep being like, one of the ways you can play with this as practice is for the next week you want, the the edge of your practice is, oh, let me see what leads to me getting even a little bit angry each day. Right? And just see, and, and, and not to, to act on any anger, but just see if, because you want to see the lead up to the anger that's then uncontrollable. And, and if we don't see the lead up, then it, it's really hard. But you, and usually the lead up is something hurts, or something feels wrong, or I feel dismissed, or I feel some, I have a reaction. So the anger is a reaction to something that's happening, either internally or externally or relationally. And, and I want to be aware of those situations when that's happening before the anger builds. Right? And so that's so then make put that in the foreground of your practice for a week. Okay, when do I get irritated? And we using I'm using or or resentful or a little pissed off before the anger. Like because those are all parts of the continuum of anger. This makes me a little bit nervous because I live in New York. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that happens a lot, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, it's part of life in New York. Yeah, there's a lot of, and I lived in New York too, so I appreciate this. So, um, and so you're not trying to get rid of it. You want to be aware of it and see what happens as you're aware of the irritation of the, mm, of the get get away from me feeling that comes very naturally in New York. Or back off, and you know you're walking down the street in New York. And there's so much input, right? And people, and everybody's, and and you get it when somebody, you get a little irritated about somebody doing something, or you know, walk on the other side of the street is the feeling, but they're not walking on the other side of the street, and so you want to just watch what happens right here, because you'll also see something you may not enjoy being aware of, which is your vulnerability, which will is often a pre- prelude to anger, meaning hurt or vulnerable or scared or anything like that. And we all have that, because those are all part of being human. And so, and then um, the other thing is giving yourself some time to be really angry, really angry, without acting on it. And uh, I used to do this, when I was really working with anger, 
I was swimming a lot. I used to swim in the bay here in San Francisco, and I would do these swims that I called the fuck you swims. <laughs> and I would be like, <laughs> and feel all the energy of the anger fully in my body and not hurt any of the seals or anybody <laughs> who was around uh, and not hurt myself and not hurt any person but I would get I got way more comfortable with the energy itself which is part of what we don't like about anger is it's a lot of energy and so, so, so see, and you can do it, you can, you don't have to swim in the bay, you can just hit some pillows when you're really angry and there's nobody around, you just, and you, but you really let yourself feel it. And then it gets more in the space, of the openness of awareness, and it's just energy, right? And then it has the possibility of self-liberating on its own, but also there's a kind of Vajra energy that's talked about in Tibetan Buddhism, sword-like energy, it's warrior energy. And we're often, we often are a little uncomfortable with the warrior archetype, right? We're much better with the, you know, uh, uh, Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin energy of compassion, but the warrior energy is also part of what comes. And you may have some of that. And so you want to get more comfortable with it because it can bring a lot of clarity and a lot of directness without being, as the anger falls away. Okay? Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for coming. New York. So I think that's a good place to stop for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.